Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, engage, educate, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts, be they for corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you're in the right place. And finally, if you are already an advocate and want to learn more, this podcast is for you. So now let's get started. Today's episode, we meet Hollis Chip Felkel. Chip Felkel is a veteran strategist and public affairs consultant who advises corporate decision makers, issue-based campaigns, and select political candidates at the state and local level. He is currently the CEO of the Felkel Group, where he provides strategic counsel, advocacy, and communications guidance on policy issues working with Fortune 500s, privately held companies, and state and national groups. He is also the founder of the RAP Index, a world-class software solution that allows users to identify key relational assets to amplify their message with elected officials via personal direct engagement. Chip has served in various roles with well over 100 different political campaigns around the country. Four were key roles with presidential campaigns, and I'm pleased to report that three out of those four became president. Uh, Chip is a native of the Palmetto State and holds degrees in political science and history from the University of South Carolina. His political viewpoint is sought regularly by national media outlets for his frank observations and assessments. Now, I'm sure he will be frank with us today as well. Chip, thank you and welcome to today's show. Great to be with you, Roger. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, have a chance to talk about the Felkel Group and the RAP Index. Well, we'll get right into that. Chip, you know, your background's pretty impressive. Your understanding of politics from both the campaign viewpoint as well as from the needs of organizations to use their grassroots assets to drive policy actions. So, before we really get into that, a couple of quick diversions here. What made you, now I think I probably know the answer to this, but what made you choose the University of South Carolina and then why political science and history? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I grew up in the state near, uh, near Charleston, uh, the corner of where the PD and the Lowcountry merge. Um, I had looked at several other schools, um, um, grew up in a real small town. Uh, my dad was a graduate of USC on the GI Bill, grew up a fan of the school, 
um, looked at going out of state, looked at a couple of smaller colleges, but when it came time to make that decision, um, uh, sometimes you just know that's where you're supposed to be. Uh, so I am now the son of a graduate, a graduate, and the father of a current student. So um, it's a Gamecock family. Well, that means all the money still goes to Columbia, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. And as for the, <laughs> as for the, uh, as for the degrees, it's interesting. I started as a journalism major. Um, I had an interest in journalism uh, in high school, wrote for local papers and so forth, and had visions of being a press secretary, but I realized I didn't have space and I could never really pull that off. So uh, I, I moved into the political science arena, like most political science majors thought about law school, but I never made it back. I just married an attorney and so I got to pay for it anyway. <laughs> but now you get the legal counsel. There you go. Sometimes whether you want it or not. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny that you bring up the journalism spin on that because I learned that you wrote a book entitled Political Golf, Drive Your Bottom Line in Politics and Policy. Tell me, uh, tell me why you wrote the book. Well, there seems to be uh, either an unwillingness or uh, a hesitancy so much with corporate America uh, C-suites especially, they get frustrated by the political process. And so sometimes you have to meet them halfway uh, to get to something where they can understand what you're trying to tell them. A lot of people play golf in this country. Um, and we thought that using golf as an analogy to help decision makers in a corporate level get a better understanding of how they needed and must participate and what the arena was really like by using the game of golf as something for them to uh, to, to link in with themselves and it's been successful we've made uh it's it is a game of it is a game of pressure it's a game of uh sometimes you play with different uh, different partners um it's expensive sometimes different clubs um, you, know, you play a different club you know and and the, the pressure point usually if you're on the eight if you're on 18 at augusta and the whole world's watching and you miss an easy putt everybody knows about it so um we thought the analogies were appropriate that's great. So creating the book and writing the book, how does that kind of apply to your work today? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to suggest that what I do is rocket science, but it is a science and it is, uh, it is something that um, doesn't necessarily come naturally to people in engaging and participating in our process. Now, I would also say that we are woefully inadequate in this country with basic civics and history. Um, and, and, and yet government touches every aspect of our lives. Some people would say that's a terrible thing. Some people would say that's a good thing. Either way, if you're in an industry, uh, an association, um, if you're a higher in higher ed, you have to deal with government in some form or fashion and people need to be more comfortable with that. It shouldn't be the boogeyman. It should be where you can get help or assistance or protection or whatever, and you need to feel as a citizen more comfortable engaging with your government. And that translates into how we operate with our clients and how we try to impress upon them the importance of civic engagement, but also the importance of recognizing if you don't explain your story, somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. you got to be your own voice there, don't you? Right. Yeah. So now coming up in your professional career, you, you know, I highlighted that you work for many political campaigns before beginning your own firms. Has that helped you in having a better understanding of the multitude of issues uh, elected officials deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, they literally are 
overwhelmed. And in most states, particularly, they don't have the staff and the resources to sort through, which makes it even more important for organizations to get a grasp on being succinct and using the right messengers uh, in terms of their issues. Um, everyone knows the lobbyist, whether they're a contract lobbyist or they're an in-house lobbyist, everybody knows that person is paid to have an opinion. So there's a degree of, I wouldn't say inauthenticity, but when you can replace that with a voice that they respect, has credibility, um, that is recognized, and frankly, that they know outside of the industry, maybe it's personal relationship, college roommates, whatever, and that's what's tied in with our software, um, you can be much more impactful. You might get a meeting you weren't going to get. You might, right. you might get an ear over a fence post that you weren't going to get. You might have an opportunity at a soccer match to have a conversation. Now, why, what, that's great, but you've got to make sure that your advocates are engaged and educated to the extent that they can be useful and valuable, but not dangerous. Right. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that as we, as we go forward. But before we kind of dip our toe into that, uh, you know, you're absolutely right, whether it's a soccer match or not. And, and I know you and I have shared comments about a, a, a very well-known former U.S. senator, and my relationship was developed over ice hockey. And we became incredibly close uh, over those years because of ice hockey. And, right. uh, you know, it, it, and it's amazing. It's amazing what can happen when you have that personal connection. But before we dive deeper into that, you know, what type of clients does the Felkel Group uh, have? And what, do you, what kind of work do you provide for them? Well, I think our focus would be best characterized as uh, communications and messaging, um, framing issues in a way that the public and those elected officials can better understand on what the, what the impact of those particular issues are. We work with um, a wide range, uh, groups like the Nature Conservancy, uh, groups like um, Santee Electric Co-op in South Carolina, which is our version of the Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, we do work, have done work in the past for groups like Verizon and AT&T and Exxon. Um, so we're able to help frame those issues in a way that um, not only educates, but also motivates and engages other people to get involved on their behalf. We do a lot of third party recruitment, um, finding those other voices outside of their stakeholder universe. Um, we help them, but we do a lot of, a lot of really framing messages for organizations I don't want to say dumbing it down, but making it succinct so that it is understandable. Yeah, uh, be because we know time of, is of an essence when you're dealing with any type of an elected official. There's only, only so much time and you need to make the most of that in the, in the most succinct period that you have. You're absolutely right. So as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier here, a little bit of full disclosure, Chip and I have worked together with his RAP Index advocacy software solution uh, with with that out in front, Chip, can can you explain for the audience what is RAP Index, and maybe even begin with, and for those that are listening to this on a podcast, that's RAP Index, uh, and what does the RAP stand for? Sure, um, RAP uh, stands for Relationships, Advocability, and Political Capital. 
And the genesis for this was a lot of that work we've already talked about under the Felkel Group, where we have done countless public affairs, uh, multi-state issue advocacy campaigns, and we realized how many of our clients did not have a great grasp on one of the most valuable things that they could leverage, which is those assets or relational assets that their stakeholders have with elected officials. Now, if you ask a group, they'll tell you they normally sure we've tried to track that but there's never been a platform or a, a system that would systematically objectively uh, assess the breadth depth and scope of a relationship with a policymaker, state local federal um, could then ascertain um, what is their advocability for us that's their willingness and ability to be an advocate people can have relationships and not be willing to use them um, you need to know that as well, because otherwise you make an assumption that that because they tell you they have a relationship, they're going to be someone you can then engage. Count on, yeah. Not necessarily true all the time. So knowing who those individuals know, knowing how well they know them, knowing uh, the breadth and scope of the relationship, knowing what they're willing to do. Is it call, write a letter? Is it text someone? Is it do a video call? Uh, is it go to an event and, and speak with them? Knowing that. And then what's their, and the P stands for political capital. What's their personal political capital? Where are they engaged outside of your organization that might be beneficial to you in terms of your messaging and communications? All of that's scored um, on a- so, uh, so how do you do, I mean, how do you score that? How do you even get this information? And are people willing to share that? Um, it's important to, yes, yes, they are. Um, it is captured through an online survey um, the individual uh, stakeholder is sent, a, sent an online survey from someone in the organization they're likely to respond to. Uh, it's messaged in a way that says, look, relationships still matter despite this digital world we live in. It could be very important to us and effective if you'd be willing to share. It's no right or wrong answers. Now, what does that do immediately? It immediately tells you who's willing to participate and who isn't. You know from the moment you send the survey out um, if someone is, is now a potential advocate for you. From that, we do a home address and zip code match, pull up their elected officials. If they tell us they have any relationship whatsoever, we dig in a little deeper and get to those key determinants, if you will. Um, last time they had contact, you know, when they, how, would they, how would they contact them or how would they connect with them? Um, you know, would they, would, they, uh, would they be willing to write letters and so forth and so on? And what, but the beauty of it is then we get these golden nuggets. And we give them the opportunity to tell us, uh, you mentioned uh, ice hockey. Um, we get information such as the senator and my son were college roommates. Um, he is my first cousin. My personal favorite still is I'm married to the state senator where the <laughs> client didn't know that. And so now we've gotten past their issues and we've gotten to real life. We've gotten to real impact and, and authenticity that can allow them to go have conversations they might not necessarily get to have. So I think organizations are familiar and people that, that kind of work in customer service or work in sales are very familiar with what is known as a CRM, which is a customer relationship management software where you can track you know, who your prospects are, who the customers are, what, you know, customer complaints are, uh, actions that you need to take, those kind of things. So to me, this really sounds like this is an advocacy relationship management software. Is that, is that a good that way is to very it? appropriate. And in fact, we, we use that term. Um, 
as we develop advocates, there is a system to track their engagement. There's an ability for clients to, uh, as a team is working on a project, to know who's used what stakeholder and the updates on that. And the essence of what we're doing, let's say you have a universe of 15,000 members or 5,000 employees or whatever. We are filtering up through our system. No harm, no foul, no right answer, no wrong answer. But we're giving that client um, a filtering of who their best messengers are. And we are creating, in essence, a SEAL team of advocates for that organization. Those are people, everyone knows what a SEAL team is. Those are people who are ready at a moment's notice, notice to go. They are, they are trained. They understand. They're well-versed in the issues surrounding, and they're dependable. And so that's what we're creating for organizations. So it sounds to me, and, and of course, I think I know the answer to this, is that you really emphasize the importance of relationship development and continuity with these elected officials. Is that, would that be appropriate? Yeah, I think one of the struggles we have in society today is that we're too quick to simply, uh, I mean, digital's great. Digital has a place. Every organization that might be listening to this is gonna have a digital presence. But if you're doing it and I'm doing it and somebody else has a different view of an issue and they're doing it and somebody else has a slightly different version of the same issue is doing the same thing, what happens? You create a whole lot of noise. Yeah. You got to get past the noise. You got to get past everywhere. the noise, and the way to do that is to is to go back to what we all grew up with. Most of us, anyway, is understanding that relationships still matter, uh, and relationships can be a real cornerstone. I mean, look, because of relationships, we have we have been able to get things in budgets for clients at the last minute on the hill. We've been able to stop legislation before it ever got to a committee. We've been able to get. Uh, valuable um, support from key members um, who didn't really pay, weren't on a committee, but had a vote. And so again, just because of personal relationships where someone they knew and trusted and respected who had credibility became the voice for the organization. And that made all the difference in the world. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I know if I went to, to my wife the first day I met her and looked at her and said, will you marry me? I don't think that that would work. Great point. You know, and as, and as we talk about politics, all too often people show up and say, marry me with an elected official. And the elected official has no idea who they are. I've been on a the, date. I don't even know you. That's you right. Buy me that's coffee right. or something. At that's least. exactly but right. Please. It's a great. It's a great analogy because too often we think if, OK, well, they represent me. I live in their district. I got a problem. They need to fix it. No, doesn't work that way. That's right. You got to have credibility. You got to have authenticity. And what we're all about with this platform uh, is giving our clients authentic messengers and a SEAL team to go take that action. Yeah. And and I think you, you full heartedly will agree that then you have to be honest. Then when you walk in the room, you have to, you know, to be honest and don't try to buffalo somebody. Don't try to pull something over on somebody because any credibility that you had or had prior to that is gone. If you're not careful, you only get one shot. That's right. Um, and you don't want to put them in a situation where the next time they see you, they're trying to avoid you. So, so what, yeah, exactly. So what you're really telling me though, is that 
if we cut through this, it's those personal experiences and those personal relationships that help drive it. You know, we all we all go back, and I I keep I constantly use this because he was the master at this. Ronald Reagan was an absolute master at saying, "Well, I got a letter the other day from Johnny, and Johnny said, right, and then he told you." But that's those personal experiences that they need to know exactly what's happening on the ground, what's really happening in their district. And you combining that with your knowledge of how does that affect the political animal, if you will, the the elected official that had to go through the political fight to gain that seat. So how do those two things tie together? Well, it doesn't take a lot of people asking about an issue normally to raise the hair on the back of an elected official's neck, um, especially if it's people that they know. It may, it's a little different if they have no idea who you are, but yeah. it, it doesn't take too many inquiries and too many people who are taking the time because most people in America don't engage. But so if people will actually then take the time to raise the point, it doesn't take too long to get an important issue on their radar. And again, that the person doing that needs to be someone they have a past life experience with, not someone that they have just, uh, that, that says they live in their district, but they've never heard their name and know nothing about them or anything else. That's right. Absolutely right. And they have to go about it in a way that isn't disagreeable. You know, yeah. I, there's, I, there's, you know, one of the things we vet in our, which I think is also important uh, in our process, you know, we do, we do score the R, A, and P questions. Every respondent gets an average RAP index score, but then we filter that again so that the client has the ability to do a double check to make sure that even though they may be your stakeholder and they may agree with you on their issue, make sure they're not 180 degrees on another issue with that target so that your meeting doesn't get hijacked to talking about something that has nothing to do with your organization. That's right. So we have this system uh, that has now been used, you know, by names like Walmart and General Motors and Allstate and state associations and Texas A&M, University of South Carolina, a wide range of state associations that allows them to have that confidence that they're putting their best possible foot forward. Um, And as for lobbying groups, um, some people have asked, you know, don't the lobbyists, they probably don't like this. Good lobbyists do, especially lobbyists that are, that are uh, maybe tackling technical issues where you can humanize an issue. Um, it's not up and down. There's some technicalities to it. But if you can humanize it with one of these stakeholders that we've identified, it, may, it can make a big difference in how it's received. So does, does REP really help organizations grow their community of advocates or does it just simply uh, better identify the depth of those advocates? Uh, It does two things. Um, Number one, it gives you a baseline of what you have to work with to start off with. Uh, Number two, you have the ability then as you create more, call it internal enthusiasm about actually engaging. uh, We've found groups that are able to then grow. Um, It gives you, uh, it gives you a, a, the ability to then um, highlight successes, enthusiasm, people like to be part of the winning team, 
So more people then want to be more engaged or be a part of it that might not necessarily have been interested in advocacy before. And so it's two pronged in that, in that approach. Yeah, and I think that we've seen in the last year, particularly even since the pandemic began and the effects that it's had on different industries and families and homes and viability and food shortages and so on and so forth, that there have been more people that have now had an interest that know that government affects their everyday lives. Look at uh, it today with the challenges of COVID. Number one, the decisions that have been made about masking or not masking, how that's affected businesses, chambers of commerce is engaged on things. And now look at it, how it affects a rollout of a vaccine. It's still, the government has a role there. Um, we will not get our economy back until we get rid of the virus. Um, and so it's the thing that, that's a good example of people being fully, more fully um, cognizant of just what a day-to-day -day impact the, the impact, has. yeah, yeah. So, with your experience and, and literally combining both Rap Index and and uh, the Felkel Group, how do you and how do grassroots leaders engage and then re-engage to to kind of keep them active? Because I think there's always been this teeter totter of a balance of how much do we ask them to do, when do we ask them to do it. Uh, and then if we don't engage with them, then do, do they feel like they haven't been used? Well, it's important that if someone tells you that they want to be a part of your advocacy effort, that you create a mechanism for not overkill, but steady updating and make sure that they are not having to learn a textbook like this, you know, at the last minute to feel comfortable. So number one, it's that. Um, we have, uh, some of our clients can manage this data on their own. Um, they have the bandwidth, but we have also uh, found situations where given our expertise and how we created this, where we will manage that entire key contact program, that sealed team effort for, for organizations. Um, it is important, and I think this is probably one of the ways that we got here. I am in South Carolina. It is a small state. Um, we have two senators and seven members of Congress. Um, going, having to go back to the well, to the same people every week or so on a different issue was one of the reasons that we realized we had to have a better, there needed to be a better mousetrap. There needed to be a better way to find out what relationships existed. So you aren't having to ask the same person. Today, it's, it's Tuesday, let's talk. Can you call the senator about insurance? Oh, it's Thursday. Can you call the senator about environmental issues? Right. Um, finding people in your organizations, and they are there. Um, they, uh, our data bears that out. That there are wonderful, valuable, uh, impactful, willing advocates uh, in what I would call with the unusual suspects um, within an organization. We're not talking about the CEO. We're not talking about the lobbyists. We're not talking about the C-suite. We're talking about the clerk on the third floor that nobody ever talks to about politics who's been sitting by the congressman in church for the last 30 years. So, so that's interesting because what you're also telling me is that these people may not have direct influence or knowledge of uh, the elected official, but they may know the staff as well. They may know staff. Certainly. 
Certainly. And, and that, that's, we, find, we find staff relationships, which can be just as important, particularly at a federal level. Yep. Um, because everything goes through staff anyway. Um, and that is critical. We were able to find that as well, which makes it, makes it even that much more valuable. Um, but I will go back to my unusual suspects comment, and that is this. They expect to hear from the CEO and the lobbyists. They expect to hear from the CFO. They don't expect to hear from Earl, whose kids played soccer with their kids. And if Earl can be engaged, it means even more. That's right. That's right. There's, there's more humanity that comes into that. That's right. uh, You're humanizing the issue. Well, and it's like I often tell clients or, or prospective clients, you know, what, what I talk about what I, when I speak or when I'm out trying to train people, it's you can do it and you have done it and you've stood up there and said it either as the CEO or the head of the of advocacy, public policy, government relations. You've said those things. But when you have somebody from the outside comes in and says it, they hear it with a different voice, with a different tone uh, than the person who's expected to deliver that. And that's really what you're getting at with the people that are the unusual suspects, uh, you know, that, that are in that. We had uh, a, a client last year, uh, th this is the perfect example of it, very quiet, wanted to be on an advocacy committee that, of a client that I worked with, but was quiet constantly. Hmm. And I, I made a simple comment about, it's not just who you know, with elected officials, it's, do you know anybody on staff? And this guy had been on the committee for a year and a half, very, very quietly. And I get an email saying, you know, I used to work for Senator so-and-so hmm. and my roommate is the chief of staff. There you go. Boom. Perfect, perfect example. Uh, again, the value of relationships, the value of relationships, the importance of using those assets because those assets are authentic those assets have credibility that you would never know unless you took the time to find out. And, and the end result of that was, well, are you willing to reach out and see if we can get a meeting, you know, or a Zoom call with the member? And he came back and said, uh, well, not only that, but I talked to the chief of staff and the chief of staff said, well, why don't he do a video for you uh, uh, for your uh, Hill Day? And then on top of that, because he wanted to, do, because he was willing to do the video, he wanted to know more information about it. Before you know it, became a co-sponsor of one of the bills that that we were talking about. Because now he was buying in. I right. get it. It's something that level. It took that extra level of authenticity to be able to get what you were looking for. That's absolutely, right. absolutely. Well, Chip, this has been fascinating, uh, and I hope it's been fascinating for our our viewers uh, and guests today on, on the podcast, we've kind of reached our, our, our time limit here a little bit. How can people reach you for more information? Certainly. Um, the RAP Index uh, website is uh, www.rapindex.com. And of course, Felkel Group, F-E-L-K-E-L group.com. Um, we would love to have a chance to talk with them. And um, not every company, we know that is not everybody's a great is a is a one hundred percent match for what we're doing, but we can we can make a difference, and we have, and we'd love an opportunity to talk with them. So what we will do is we will add Chip's contact information into the show notes. Uh, so whether you're listening to the podcast or you see it on uh, YouTube, 
uh, you'll, you will be able to get their contact uh, information as well. Now that wraps up today's great conversation. And I, I don't say that lightly because Chip and I could probably sit here for a couple hours and talk to you ab about this and come up with more and more reasons why people need to be able to grow their advocates, be able to manage the, the, the advocates better and get the most out of those advocates. So it's been a great conversation with Chip, uh, your Felco group and, and RAP Index. You know, I want to thank you very much for being on today's show. Uh, been, been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, just thank to your uh, to your listeners out there. If you've ever scrambled around at the last minute to find someone who could make a call or write a letter or attend an event, wouldn't it be great to have a database at your fingertips that would already tell you who was willing to do that? Boy, that's that's a that's a great closing comment. Very good. So now we're going to move into a very quick my advocacy engagement tip. And today's tip is about not using all of your resources. Uh, oftentimes, that's what people do. They don't use all their resources. Many groups fail because they didn't tap all of their connections and didn't realize uh, who their connections were, what their resources were. They've left some stones right in front of them unturned. So at the beginning of an advocacy campaign, conduct a thorough search of possible local and national resources and partners and, and advocates for you with that can work on the similar issues and concerns and that would be willing to assist in your cause. And I know using a tool like RAP Index can assist you in finding those hidden advocates. So just a couple of quick notes here at the end of the episode. If you're interested in being a guest on my show, please go to voicesandadvocacy.com and click on the contact us to let us know that your interest and why we should have you on the show. I would love to have you contribute your thoughts because I am sure you are wiser than I am and I learn a lot from conducting these interviews. So in upcoming episodes, you will be treated to great interviews from people that know advocacy, whether they're leaders in the world of politics, associations, nonprofit causes, I'm sure you will enjoy these interviews. So uh, if you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast today. A big thank you again to Chip for being on the show today. And a reminder that we at Voices in Advocacy work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, activate your supporters by turning them into influential advocates. Well, that's it for today's episode. You have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Good day. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices and Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices and Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.